Hello, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. Many of you know that I started this series as a way to share my academic conference presentations to a wider audience, but then I expanded the podcast in spring of 2020 to bring you the audio versions of my pandemic pedagogy conversations I've been hosting on YouTube. The conversations that I'm going to be having for the upcoming 2020-2021 school year focus not just on the ideas of teaching history during and after the pandemic like the spring series did, but also history-adjacent ideas that we can use to think about making our history teaching more responsive and broad to the world that students are engaging in today. Like in the spring, the conversations on the podcast are unedited conversations, so you might hear buffering or the repetition of a question or an answer, but the content fundamentally remains the same as the video. Enjoy this version of Pandemic Pedagogy for fall, winter 2020-2021. I just want to flag that because we film this at two separate times, the uh, volume is going to be a lot quieter for the interview. So if this is a comfortable volume for you, <laughs> um, you better turn it up even more because um, this is this is way louder than the sound is for the, um, the conversation. We'll work on that as we move through the series. Thanks for understanding. Okay. Christopher, thank you so much for making time to talk with me today and for reaching out. It's so wonderful to be able to speak with a, a medical historian during this time. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit more about the work you do before we get started? Okay. Um, well, I, I call myself a professional medical public health historian of practice. <laughs> Um, I did my PhD at University of Toronto uh, with Michael Bliss, a historian who did the discovery of insulin. My PhD was on the history of polio in the mid, early mid-90s. And that uh, led me to a lot of different things that I do now with uh, history of polio itself, but epidemics and uh, history of vaccines and immunization. My th thesis involved the history of Connaught Laboratories, which was part of the University of Toronto from 1914 to 72. And my thesis got me into their archives and um, and which was very significant to that project. And then I've since done a lot of work as a consultant for Connaught uh, Today, which is Sanofi Pasteur in Canada, that carries on. And they have a very rich history. So I'm resident historian there. And so for the last 25 years or so, doing research, managing the archives, uh, writing, consulting, uh, exhibits. They've been a great place, uh, very respect, respectful of history. Uh, I'm not a PR person so much. I'm, I, uh, you know, I have access to the archives and primary documents and work with them and, and share a lot of that material. I've done a lot of articles and exhibits and things. And so, and I'm working with Neil Horford on, currently on the Insulin uh, 2021 or Insulin 100th Anniversary Defining Women's Canada Project, which is how I actually found about you. <laughs> uh, your interview with him um, introduced me to what you're doing. And so I'm working a lot on that and that work is actually kind of fits in with a lot of this, uh, the pedagogy idea and applying it in interesting ways. So that's sort of where I'm coming from, I guess. Yeah, and Neil's, well, the Defining Moments Canada uh, organization, I just, I feel like because 
because of this moment, has been able to highlight the importance of understanding so many defining moments, but like medical public health defining moments because of their first work on the Spanish flu. So I am extra excited to see what comes of the insulin project. Um, the first question that I ask, which to me seems like the, a good segue into asking if you have thought of history any different because of this moment. Um, I have a, a cat here, I also just want to say, who's been whining all through your answer. Uh, My talking too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be just a pet menagerie. Um, if you've thought of history any different during the pandemic, and if that is like impacting some of the conversations around the insulin project. I, I, that's like a double question, but you can answer whichever part you'd like. <laughs> well, as I, I've been saying a lot through this pandemic, it's been surreal as an historian of, of epidemics, of pandemics, as a sort of specialty, as opposed to just a general historian or medical historian in general that may specialize in all kinds of different things, but actually be special, uh, specialized in infection diseases in Canada not just not, you know, you know, not way back in the middle medieval times or Renaissance, but actually in the 20th century focus and in, in the most recent time we had an epidemic with polio particularly, or SARS. I've done projects on that and lived through it myself. Um, so it's been surreal in the sense of normally I understand or know what this, how the story ends or how the epidemic ended <laughs> and what it meant and what its impact mm -hmm, was. Mm -hmm. But now, right now, we're in the middle of it and it's not quite clear how it's going to end, and when and how and what's going to happen because of it and what impact it's going to have. And we're in a global pandemic. It's not like polio. It was a, you know, this, uh, specific acute epidemic situations that, um, uh, you know, were localized for the most part, although it was, uh, you know, carried on for many decades. Um, but um, nothing quite like this really has happened for a hundred years or so since the Spanish flu um, on a global scale. So there's a lot of stuff happening and to be in the middle of it and watching all the different elements beyond just the medical stuff, the politics and the economics and the you know, differences between countries, the difference between within countries, you know, watching the Americans manage this pandemic, you know, bad enough, regardless of who was president, but to have someone like Trump you know, a major wild card really, you know, changing the whole situation in a, in a unique way and comparing that with us in Canada, how that differs and how different provinces differ and different states and different countries around the world. So there's a lot going on around us uh, to be able to relate to past experiences, uh, but also recognize differences, you know, because it's being in the middle of something, you, you need time to actually to, to, to be able to look back at something. As a historian, so there's always that to be careful not to apply history too early in the middle of something, you know, because you know when you're doing history of something in the past, you have time to be able to assess things. And um, so I, I, I'm thinking about what you said. Like we are in a particular moment right now, and like you are used to knowing how it ends, and then you, as a historian, you develop your interpretation around those things that are already kind of in place. So have you like re thought of some of your interpretations or some of the evidence that you have looked at in various history projects because you're like, oh, this is something different that might have been happening during a pandemic or a health, public health issue that I hadn't considered before. The idea of just sort of living through an experience like this, you have a better sense of 
on a personal level, apart from being a historian, but as a personal experience to seeing what's going on around you and appreciating just the anxiety, the uncertainty that, you know, it's easy to look back at a, a polio epidemics and know a vaccine was coming, you know, there was an end to it, it, it went on for a long time and there's all kinds of stuff about that, but, but just knowing at that time, we didn't know that. And especially for, with polio, there's kids involved and you know, it's a whole different kind of mindset. We have similar things with COVID, but uh, it's, it's different. I mean, there's a different kind of feel to it, but still to th that sense of uncertainty. And if I'm going back to, literally to actually revising my manuscript and, and updating it and helping me rethink uh, what to emphasize. And also there was a lot of, um, in the earlier revisions of, of my manuscript, some of the comments were to, to de-emphasize the epidemics because I, I was going through you know, different provinces and different major epidemics and responses and political elements and things like that. And maybe I was doing it too much perhaps, but, and there was an emphasis to maybe you know, cut them back a lot and focus more on the vaccine stuff because that's a big part of what I do and no one's really complained about that. But there's a real importance between the two, the epidemics, especially in the Canadian context and the relationship with the vaccine and the political, you know, not labs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that, if we hadn't been going through an epidemic or a pandemic today, maybe I wouldn't have wanted to go back to it at all or you know, in a different way or thinking more, maybe I will just cut that stuff out and, you know, and focus on the vaccine story, which as I said, that's, people have been happy with that and it hasn't really been a problem. Um, that so, makes me think of, oh, sorry, that makes me think of um, Ian Duncan, who's a teacher that uh, I did one of the conversations with when he said, I don't think history has changed, but our views and perspectives have. And of course, I think, I think he, what he really means is like the past hasn't changed, but our views and perspectives have, because then that helps us like develop these histories. And, and so like that's one of the things that really struck me in this moment about the interpretations that we especially in like k-12 classrooms are so used to um uh like they won't work in this moment where are these new things so i know i know k-12 teaching is not your <laughs> your area of specialty but of course there's a lot of different ways we can think of mobilizing the past which is how i understand the teaching of history so do you think the teaching of history. You think the ways that we will mobilize the past, you think the ways that we will teach history will change after this moment? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm not involved with high school uh, education, although through the defining moments, that's one of its main focuses is on- You will be. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more attuned to that now with being involved with that project because that's my sort of primary audience as it were, or, you know, customers or whoever you want to, I mean, uh, I, mean I, I don't think quite the same on that myself personally, directly. I, I see it bigger than that because I, I mean, what I do kind of is broader. Um, but still, I, yeah, I think it's going to change. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've, I've in a pra pragmatic sense of, of it, teaching via Zoom or teaching, you know, like we're talking right now, I actually, I'm involved with a, um, a new course at Atlantis School of Public Health that's been kind of thrown together very quickly, an online course. There's a lot of grad students are kind of scrambling for, for course requirements because their practicums were canceled or, you know, because um, that kind of thing. So they, they, someone suggested, let's do a course called Public Health Perspectives on, on COVID-19. And so, you know, a bunch of faculty members kind of put the call out to different people and I was asked or suggested I could do a historical history component, history of epidemics in Canada. 
So again, I was kind of constrained. I was hoping to have a full you know, two hour session or something to explore the issue and different things, but it kind of got <laughs> compressed down into a half of, um, half of a session. Um, but you know, it was a good experience to actually have a class of 40, you know, 42 grad students all in a, on a Zoom call like this, you know, and trying to figure out how to relate to that. And I was able to pre-record my presentation as, so I didn't have to kind of go through it live and try to do it that way. So just physically managing that and what goes into how do you teach that way. Anyway, but um, just what's happening, I think, is, is um, creating new opportunities, you know, new, I mean, uh, I'm trying to make history, I guess, more immediate in a sense, um, in this context, you can probably do that more easily perhaps than you would have otherwise, because you're kind of forced in an online environment to kind of be creative in how you present what you're saying. You can't just kind of sit there and talk for an hour or whatever. Maybe you can sometimes, but you need to mix it up a lot more than you would otherwise, I think. Well, um, one of the things I was thinking when you said that you're going to uh, be in this new course for the public health school is how the, yes, sure, the teaching of history is, is going to shift and change because of this moment, but also the need for history education are, is shifting and changing yeah. because of this moment. And that's such a key element that I, that I heard from things that you were saying that people are actually going to be looking for different historical perspectives to make sense yeah. of. Well, there's a pragmatic element as opposed to just an academic interest thing. I mean, I, I think a little differently than, I mean, I've seen a lot of other discussions about you know, using history in this pandemic and you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, the plagues and a lot of different examples for a kind of global sense. And that's all good. We're taking it very academically, you know, which is great too. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm just, my approach is a little more pragmatic and rooted in, in Canada, for one thing. And actually, I very much believe in the importance of just actually telling the story, like, like getting the, what actually did happen as opposed to trying to analyze it too much or you know, pe you know, talk about different limitations or be too critical of, of it. I mean, that's all it has its place. But I mean, when you do that, you kind of miss the actual story, the actual, what actually happened. Um, and, and, and in the Canadian context, some of those stories haven't really been mapped out. You know, and my, my approach is to, is to actually do that. You know, tell, tell the story as best you can from primary sources, you know, Work and not be afraid to miss something, or you know, um, and and actually do that, and and give a foundation that others can actually that I can pick up, or others can actually say, oh, what Chris said about this or that, you missed this or that. Well, great, then they can go and and, and explore those themes, and that's good. Um, and so when you're dealing with a, a corporate setting or a professional public health setting, you, you have to be careful not to get too analytical and get caught up in those sort of historical issues, which are important, but be able to just get to the actual, you know, key things. Uh, what, what does, what did the polio experience tell us about COVID? Like, what, how do we relate, you know, in polio there was convalescent serum or there was a nasal spray or iron lungs. And they, you know, there's, a, there's an obvious kind of correlation between what happened with that, with those, with COVID and also differences and what was different and why are they different? And the variability of polio is very much an individualistic disease. Very, no two cases were the same. COVID's turning out to be very much like that. So there's those kind of commonalities. Um, polio was more about kids originally. 
but spread to more affected adults and older kids as time went on. COVID is almost the opposite, starting with you know, the elderly and it's turning out to be <laughs> going the other way with more and more younger people involved. So there's a lot of those kind of commonalities that appreciating what happened in a basic sense, you know, as, as opposed to getting involved with a lot of the you know, nuances of history. Um, that's important. And when you're dealing with with you know people on the ground that are dealing with public health and responses, um, I think it's valuable. I think more so perhaps than just you know talking about the plague and in, in, in a more esoteric sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know that's all good. That's nothing wrong with that. But there's a place to actually have you know good basic history based on primary materials and um, and I think that's what's important for high school kids. Is and what this situation can bring to accessibility to primary documents, you know, actually, um, you know, letters and the kind of stuff that I work with um, to piece together history, you know, and with insulin too, you know, insulin is a very different kind of thing than a pandemic, but we're really trying to emphasize the primary materials and, um, you know, work, have kids work with, with actual letters or uh, committee meetings or lab notebooks or, you know, things like that hospital records, and just relate to the history, relate to the documents um, more than if, if you did it in a more traditional sense. I mean, there's an opportunity to do that, I think, with this and tell stories. And, and stories is really what drives it, really, especially when you're trying to communicate history to kids and relate to it. One of the things that I find so powerful about history and using primary sources is it allows us to see the variety of different experiences in the past. And I have argued, which is the basis of like both the YouTube channel and my upcoming book and just like anytime anybody hears me at a conference, is that the more experiences we allow in our classrooms, the more we're able to transform and imagine who we are together in a community on this land called Canada or globally. And that this imagining is such a key, key element of transforming the world to be more equitable um, for so many different young people. So that's why, uh, that's why the video series is called Imagining a New We, but that's also why I have the last question about imagining a new we itself. Do you think during this moment with maybe, with, with being in this like immediate historical moment, thinking about different access to primary sources, do you think that we will get a chance to imagine a new we differently after this moment? I'm concerned too that we get so wrapped up in the digital, in, in the context of having to adapt things I'm afraid of, of of high school kids, especially losing touch, literally touch with with real archives, real real documents that they actually can see or artifacts and being in a museum or being in an archive. Um, you know, and we're having to adapt to that reality, and that's understandable. But we need to think also post pandemic or post in a way to be so we don't lose. You know, figure out a way to sure we can use the, the digital and digitize stuff and have it all nicely accessible. But you need a sense of discipline, a sort of historical discipline to actually get out to an archive and have to get into it, get your hands dirty and pick through things and not have everything kind of right in front of you and pre-curated. Because there's a certain element you need to be able to discover that as an historian, actually work with the, work with the material. 
And so we need to be able, be careful not to lose sight of, of, of that and get caught, caught up in the, in the, you know, the technology, the convenience, the cult of the convenience, the cult of convenience idea, which having things all kind of right at you. And I think a lot of high school kids are kind of subject to that. You know, everything has to be on their phone and if it isn't set to so they don't care about it so much and it's too convenient. If, not, if, it is, if it's inconvenient, then they don't do it. And you need to have a certain element of inconvenience for, to learn, to, to appreciate history, especially to actually take, you have to go away from your desk and away from the computer and not everything's gonna be there. And to assume everything is there is a problem. So you have to make sure that's part of the teaching is what you're seeing on, a, on your computer and digital archives might seem like a lot, but it's actually not. There's a lot more that's not digitized, may never be digitized. And, and also if you, if you overly digitize and, and spend too much time on that, you risk losing the real stuff. And you think, oh, that's all that matters. So let's just throw away all the stuff in the archives. And that's a problem, you know, because I mean, digital can just, is very vulnerable. There's a vulnerability inherent in all that, that, that we need to be aware of. Um, you know, I mean, documenting this pandemic. I mean, one of your other talks, the archivist, one of the last ones I watched yesterday, talked about, um, you know, everybody's collecting material about the pandemic and that's all good, but what's going to happen to that? You know, a few months or a few years down the line, is that going to disappear? Who's going to take care of that? What's going to happen to the digital archives? Um, you know, who's going to save that? And how are you going to save it? And how is it going to be available, you know, 10, 100 years from now, right? So there's lots of those sort of questions. One of the things for me when you said like inconvenient, I think that the convenience, I think that your capacity for what is convenient increases the more you're interested in it, right? So the ideas that you were saying earlier about history, um, history having a particular moment right now that allows us to to be able to really want to draw on the past to make sense of what we're doing, I think will increase students' interest in exploring those other stories and recognizing that there'll be need, they'll, there need to be other places to do that. So do you think when they do that, they will be able to imagine a new we then? Yeah, yeah, I mean, given the chance, I mean, we're in a, in a new world in a sense. I mean, um, so you know, who knows what's gonna happen, but it's a, it's, it is a chance. So, I mean, that, these sort of situations create opportunities to, to try new things. So, and, the, and students, high school students are particularly good at that and creating new, new connections, new, new ideas, new ways of doing things, and that's all good. I mean, you have to kind of trust that. I mean, I can be critical <laughs> of the digital world and what I was just saying, but you know, I can't control that. I can help shape it and what I do and, and, and doing what we're doing to help people be aware of sort of limitations or the, the risks or the challenges of that. But, in the midst of that, the new situation, new things are going to come up, and it is a, a chance for closer awareness or new awareness of history, uh, maybe more than people realize. Uh, and, and, and there is there the convenience is valuable to have stuff available more easily than there would otherwise be. So I mean, we can't be too critical of that. That's that's all good. We have to just be aware of 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 how you're dealing with that you know, as a as a, as a teacher or other teachers. Um, and how you manage and, and keep and keep options open um, for uh, for kids as they're getting you know or university level people um, to 
to be wary of the convenient. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, you know, there's that tendency today to get caught up in that and here and now they're very presentist. It's a very presentist culture, you know, social media, you know, some social media services don't even have an archive. It's all now, 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 and you know, if you don't want, hopefully you don't want to go back, look back next last week and see what you posted then. No, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. You know, so if, if you want to preserve history, you have to have an ability to preserve it in a, in a serious way um, for students. Um, so yeah, there's lots of opportunities I think to you know create something new, you know, using history as a tool to do that and um, recognizing commonalities with the past, you know, relating, as I said, on a personal level with what happened in past epidemics. But when you, you know, if, if a student is, wants to study polio, for example, has lived through our situation today, they've got something more to work with to actually kind of relate um, to what happened then, you know. So there's lots of different things you can do. So. Christopher, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of experience um, to this conversation. I think it's uh, it's good. It's a, such a rich compliment to all of the other uh, all of the other talks. So I think this is a good place to say goodbye. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Yeah. This has been really great, and uh, we'll stay connected to, uh, well, especially with uh, the Defining Moments Canada project, but uh, who knows what other like ideas might percolate from this pandemic pedagogy series. So thank you again. You're very welcome. Okay. All right, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to the pandemic pedagogy series of the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. My first book, Transforming the Canadian History Classroom, Imagining a New We, will be available in the latter half of 2020. Order on Amazon or through your local bookseller today.